What we're dealing with here is a complete lack of respect for the law. One night, a guy uh, brake checked me on the back stretch, and I run right into him. He took off, and I commenced to chase him all the way around to the front stretch and put him in the wall. Told me to park it, and I spun the tires up over the top of three and four and blew dirt all over the track and went in the pits, blew a donut in the pits, and that pretty much ended my year. And then I drove out across the top of the track with the late model race going, and then they threw me out for the whole complete next year. So we spin that baby over and now we've got a good sized fire and the flames are coming up and they're hitting the hood and they're going out, right? So I probably got 10, 12 feet of a flame there, you know? And then I'm saying to myself, we're gonna catch the highway on fire next. You know, I, I still remember this to this day. He took his coat off and he put it over the, over the engine and put the fire out. So he sacrificed a good Tremont 115 racing coat, put the fire out. Well, Dick, here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a just a big, hairy American winning machine. If you ain't first, you're last. I was rocking the mullet. I was in really good shape. Oh, yeah, I was, I was, I was badass. And she knew it, you know. That's what I always tell her, you know. I took you out of the gutters of Saranac and brought you down to Hollywood Boulevard, Wiggletown. Welcome, everybody, to Uncommon Deeds. I'm Tom Corbett. He is just in St. Louis, back after a week off. Yeah. Sometimes you got to take a week off. Yeah. A lot of, lot of stuff going on. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on. But you know what? We got to have a little, little dinner date, you and me. We did, after yeah. we recorded this episode. You're about to listen to got a, uh, I think it's the first time you and I have hung out in probably at least like a year and a half. Yes. Uh, I don't even remember the last time if that tells you anything. Applebee's maybe. Oh my God. That's probably it. Cause I think that was after there was like a barbecue at your house, but I think that was pre. Oh uh, yeah. Because we hadn't established the business yet. Because right. I remember having to bring paperwork. So, yeah, right. probably Applebee's after uh, Chuck Beatty. So that was uh, just before Christmas of 21. <laughs> Jesus. Yep. Sounds about right. Yeah. Well, those jalapeno buffalo tater tot things were pretty good. <laughs> and I'm glad we got to share them. Anywho, <laughs> yeah, so you had the week off, bunch of stuff going on personally for me, professionally for me, <laughs> you've always got stuff going on, but it is, it's been a bit of a cluster, but trying to get back on a rhythm here. Yeah, and we've discussed, um, maybe making some changes. You know what? We actually recorded this thought process once for a, for a pop-up video that hasn't happened. <laughs> Correct. Um, 
and we, you and I have talked about this on record, but it hasn't been put out to the, we're, we're kind of reevaluating things right now for the show. Um, seeing where we're at, where it's going, we're a hundred plus episodes in now and we're still enjoying it, but we kind of need a new challenge. Yeah. I mean, we have a challenge in the sense of continuing to get guests every week when, we're more than a hundred deep. That is getting more difficult. And and racing season is here. Also true. I am currently on three podcasts a week. Is that all? And editing and producing them all. You've got stuff going. Yeah, we're just. Yeah. And this isn't going away. But no, no, because that really sounds doom and gloom we're just oh we're reevaluating and there's it's not going anywhere we're just tinkering with a lot of ideas in how it's going to continue to go you know whether it changes and adapts justin does some stuff by himself we do something different together you know the sustainability of a new guest you haven't heard from every single week is getting very hard to continue to produce. Yeah. And we sort of saw that coming a hundred weeks ago and now it's here. Um, You know, it, it hasn't been easy at any point during the show to get guests to, have their schedule match up with ours. And now that we've blown through a hundred guests, and of course there's 2000 more that we can think of, but the reality is it's hard very much. So to get their schedules to line up with ours, especially when you and I have kids that go to bed at eight, eight thirty at night and we don't press record until sometimes nine o'clock right now. Um, it's not easy. It is not, but you know, where there's a will, there's a way, and we'll figure out a way to keep it going and keep it fresh and entertaining. And like I said, don't know what that's going to be entirely. Uh, hopefully, maybe some more video stuff mixed yeah. in. Tom's had some real cool ideas behind the scenes here, and it's things that we've really batted around. And one of them is sort of in the process of maybe happening um, that are not audio podcasts they would definitely be video um and definitely still the uncommon deeds name and theme but not this show right does that make sense yeah i think so yeah yeah we're just slowly trying to prepare you for a slightly inevitable shift yeah that is gonna have to come at some point all good things. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. In the meantime, enjoy, you know, whenever we can get these out. And I don't think at this point we can keep guaranteeing it's going to be every week. I don't know if we ever technically guaranteed it was yeah. going to be every week, but especially me, uh, early on was very, very competitive about it. And trying to establish that rhythm, and we made it whatever it was, 70-something straight yeah. weeks with a podcast. 
Yeah. Some weeks had two when we threw in a crunch bunch or a two-parter. Had to take that little vacation in July, and we've had we've only missed a few weeks since July. Christmas was a little rocky with schedules. Christmas into New Year's, and then we missed this past show. You know, I mean, and like I said, that are listeners, you 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 get it. You know what we're doing. Yeah, and we said we talked about it in a video that you haven't seen and won't see because we have to redo it <laughs> at some point because Tom didn't do well. With the video recording process. Uh, I lost my cousin Sean. A little more than a week ago. And I never talked about it on here. Because he was you know, fighting stage 4 cancer for a little more than a year. And I just never felt like my story to tell during the process. And... In a weird way, I hate in situations like that when people say sorry to me because I'm not, it's not happening to me in a, in a sense. Uh, but, you know, he passed, like I said, a little more than a week ago. And there's other stuff. And it looks like I probably lost my job based on the fact that my boss has not called me back for a month and a half over the 30-plus phone calls I've tried, Pretty and cool. the fact that my job posted on Indeed about a month ago. So there's a little uh, look-see uh, into <laughs> why I was all right with taking a week off last week. Yeah. Um, that being said, go check out the Bucktona episode. I think there were a couple of good stories in there that Sean was in. Yeah. And... He might have been in the Chipper episode a couple times, I believe. Just he was always the life of the party. And as he was about eight years older than me, and as a young, impressionable child that didn't have a brother, I looked up to my cousins quite a bit because I'd spent a lot of time with them around the racetrack or at my grandmother's house where I spent most weekends during the summer. And Sean was, I was looked at as more kind of like me, you know, both dark hair. Yeah. You guys bear a pretty strong resemblance. Both not the skinniest gents in the room. (laughs) Both, you know, lean heavily on humor. Uh, But it was just, he was the coolest to me as a kid. And even when I was older and like back from college, being an introvert that I am, like, no, come with me. You're going to play poker with the Hearts and Williamstown or whatever. And that's its own eye-opening experience. But Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. Give those a listen and make sure you... Uh, Take advantage of all the time you have. Yeah, friggin' right. Um, I think I actually raced with Sean a couple of times in the street stock days. You mentioned the crunch bunch and that he was a he was a crunch buncher and then uh ended up in the Tigers and winning races there too. Um you know, he was a he was a racer 
whether you knew him or not, he's, he's part of the family. Um, so yeah, this one's for him, man. And, um, you know, I know you said it, it's awkward, but I, I'm sorry for you and your loss. It's, it's, it did happen to you. It wasn't you, but it, it happens to you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, add it to the list of things I'll talk to a therapist about someday. That's yeah. Maybe that's where this show goes to therapy. Uh-huh. This show is going to therapy. Yeah. As for this week's episode, hey, this was one I'd been bugging Justin about for quite a while. Yep. That we needed to get uh get the Karens in here and it took took a little while as we said. It's not always easy. It's great to have the idea of, hey, you should go talk to that guy. Here's a number. Some people even give That's great. But making schedules work and getting everybody on the same page is, is two different things. And this one took a while, but we got to do it in person. And with oh, not you- one, but dose Karens. Dose Karens, yeah. I mean, folks, you have no idea how many times... I have talked on the phone to Ricky Craven and Bobby Allison trying to get them on this show. Wow. Had you, you've never dropped the names. Multiple conversations with both of them. And it, it just isn't going to happen. I, I really, I'm at the point where I believe it's not going to happen. It's not that we're not trying. It's that it's kind of impossible. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I'm dropping names on it. And it's not out of frustration. It might have been six months ago or a year ago, but it's just, it's reality. And, you know, people are busy and they don't want to wait until eight 30 at night on a, on a Wednesday to record with us. And I get it. And we can't go to Mooresville, North Carolina either. No, I have a hard enough time going to Shelburne road. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. But that is where we went. Karen's auto body on the Shelburne road and sat in Gary's office had a good time. Yeah, it was cool. And you were, I mean, you were asking about this one specifically Gary for a while. Um, I think you and I were both fans growing up. I mean, yeah. And when, you know, I did that kind of deep dive into early nineties, just every other video you're watching seems like Gary Karen's winning. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And he had cool looking cars. They were a bit different with colors but they stood out and they were, they were sharp because of course they were because all four of the Karen brothers have body shops. So the cars are going to look good and they went fast. And, um, you know, there's Larry and Richard and Dennis were all kind of done racing as we were coming along as kids, um, or at least done racing around here. Um, and the family history is deep, man. Um, so we, we saw more of the Jay Karen and the Sammy Karen, um, and Kyle later on. Um, but definitely remember Gary winning a ton of races in the early nineties when we were kids. So enjoy. This one was fun. Learned a lot, especially about Larry who, like you said, was kind of before our time did my best. If there's a, a little audio issues here and there with Larry, it's just tough getting the mics all positioned for everybody. And me coughing throughout the whole show. That is also slightly true. <laughs> but uh, it, it 
It's really good. I hope you enjoy it. You should. We also have a story time for today. Yeah. Why not, man? And it's a it's a weird one. Uh, really cool subject and something that I just learned about a few days ago. And um, you'll hear it. Um, super cool. Super fun story. We could not bring this show to you every, well, as many weeks as we possibly can. <laughs> right. When we do. Without the help of our sponsors who also, like, extra bonus They have been absolutely fantastic when we've needed a week off or four weeks off in July. Like, yeah, cool. Do you. They're good. We roll everything over and no one's got an issue. So super thankful for Barry Tile. And, man, they're putting out some some great stuff. I had another post I saw on their Facebook page the other day, just super clean kitchen beautiful countertop spring is coming it's a good time to kind of get your planning for your home improvements underway and they're a great place to go i don't think i looked since our last show look at that oh my gosh yeah that thing is beautiful um and yeah tile is in the name but countertops showers flooring (laughs) Uh, outdoor work um, with concrete, you know, uh, patios and walkways and things like that. And these guys have massively uh, invested, reinvested in their own business and buying new equipment, state-of-the-art stuff, things that Tom and I can't comprehend um, that make your place look good. And uh, what, more than 50 years in business, it kind of speaks for itself, right? Absolutely. We can't forget about Bushy's Generator Sales and Service. You know, they're the first place that really was like, hey, not only do we believe in what you guys are doing, we're going to give a bonus to people that are listening to your show. Mm-hmm. And they did it last year with $500 off up to the Milk Bowl, and they're doing it again now right up to Memorial Day. Yeah. And you know what? I think we've got a guaranteed episode 107. That'll be Ben, right? We can we can have Ben in. We won't even have to do any guesswork that week. He's a racer too. That'll match his car number. So um, if you need a, a home standby generator, which yes, you do, because again, we lost power last week in that big stupid snowstorm. Uh, that's your guy. Uh, he's the number one Briggs and Stratton dealer in the state. They do Kohler generators as well. If you're looking for a little portable generator before racing season starts to throw one in the back of the truck, that's the man. Uh, Bushy's Generator Sales and Service, two locations, and uh, he's been in business more than 10 years and in the industry for much longer than that. So, I mean, we're dealing with experts here. And just because I think spring is coming, inevitably, it should be here at some point, doesn't mean it's time to completely ignore all your heating equipment, that's actually a great time to get in touch with Pro Heat Mm -hmm. to set up a time to get it ready for next winter. Go see MJ Massetti. Um, He's in East Montpelier, and he's 20-plus years in business and 30-plus years in the industry. Again, we're dealing with experts here. Um, If you need a 
uh, boiler service, or if you need a, uh, I think it's Renai, the brand of uh, space heaters that he does, or just regular service on your on your home heating equipment. Uh, there's never a bad time to do that. And you know what? The best part of all these guys is they're all racers. They're all from racing families. Um, they support the show because they love racing too, and um, we love them for that. So um, thanks to Pro Heat, thanks to Bushies, thanks to Barry Tile for letting us do what we do. Story time is back this week, presented by our friends at Pro Heat and East Montpelier, Vermont. Think of the most famous racing series in the world, and then think of some of their most important races. Formula One has the Monaco Grand Prix, IndyCar has Long Beach, St. Petersburg, Detroit, Toronto, and more. Australian supercars race around Mount Panorama and Bathurst. NASCAR is headed to Chicago this year, and one of the most prestigious races on the globe is the 24 Hours of Le Mans. All of them are street courses run on public roads, closed off temporarily, and made safer for racing. Now imagine this happening in Vermont. Well, on a smaller scale, it really did. In the early 1980s, Rutland resident Lee Acavallo, brother of former Fairmont and Devil's Bowl driver Don Acavallo, proposed a go-kart race on the streets of the state's second largest city. Much like the Vermont stock car boom of 1950, karting had exploded around the state in 1960. Seven weekly karting tracks alone opened in Rutland and Bennington counties that year, along with a special event at the Vermont State Fairgrounds. But the wave was short-lived, and the sport disappeared almost as quickly as it had started. Lee Acavallo missed the fun of karting, and Rutland needed a pick-me-up and something to feel good about in the early 80s. Perhaps it was a crazy idea, but the city fathers studied the proposal and passed the notion, and the inaugural Rutland Grand Prix was scheduled for Memorial Day weekend in 1985. I can't even believe I said those words, but it's true. Both City Hall and the Rutland Region Chamber of Commerce threw their full support behind the event, and elaborate plans were made to shut down a section of three streets in the downtown shopping and restaurant district. The start-finish line of the triangular course was located at the bottom end of Merchant's Row, adjacent to a shopping plaza that today houses a Walmart, a Price Chopper, and several other stores. Carts would race up Merchant's Row past City Hall to where the street becomes Strong's Avenue and then make a sharp, almost 180-degree left onto Whale Street. The racers would zoom down Wales past the police station and the former headquarters of the Rutland Herald newspaper, then make a 90-degree left on Center Street and run downhill past the Paramount Theater before another sharp left back onto Merchant's Row to complete the lap. The streets were lined on both sides with more than 2,000 hay bales, with chain link and snow fences to keep spectators away from the racing surface. The event was organized by Ken McGuire, a professional kart racer and event promoter from Monsey, New York, just outside of Yonkers in New York City. McGuire and the city of Rutland promoted the event heavily and drew interest from far and wide. Dozens of businesses threw their support behind the race with ads in local newspapers and a professionally printed program book. A myriad of other events were organized in the area surrounding the weekend, including a Golden Gloves boxing event at the Royce Mandigo Arena at the Vermont State Fairgrounds. The only opposition was from the city's churches, who requested that racing action not be held during services between 10 a.m. and noon on Sunday. That request was obviously granted. It all sounds wild, but it was a reality. And on Sunday, May 26, 1985, a total of 162 entries from as far away as Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania showed up to compete on the streets of Rutland City. The city police estimated a crowd of 10 to 12 thousand spectators lining the streets watching from second third and fourth story windows and standing on rooftops 
Even the Reverend Richard Strong of the First Baptist Church on Center Street, the loudest of the opposing clergy, showed up to watch the races once church was out. Everything was a smash hit, except that rain delayed the start of the event by two hours and then cut it short by two hours in the evening. Still, there were five hours of practice and competition to entertain the crowd. Businesses, especially the restaurants, reported an uptick in sales, and everyone went home happy. For the next six weeks, letters poured into the Rutland Herald's editor's desk with words of praise from not only local residents, but travelers as well as far away as Plattsburgh. The event was quickly renewed for 1986, and a schedule change was made to have qualifying heats on Saturday and features on Sunday. That positive adjustment yielded a massive, listen to me, 265 entries on race day across more than a dozen divisions, and sunny weather brought a massive crowd of 15,000 spectators. This is the largest event that's ever been held in auto racing in the state of Vermont. The races were competitive, and excitement was shared by everyone. But then, as all good things do, it came to an abrupt end. A couple of shop owners reported to the city that the extra people did not translate to extra sales and that they would prefer the event not continue. There were logistical problems, of course, with the heart of the city's downtown street shut down for two days. The Contemporary Downtown Business Association voted not to renew the race, and it was killed off immediately. I spoke with Tom Donahue, who is currently the CEO of the Bennington Rutland Opportunity Council, and for many years, he was the director of the Rutland Region Chamber of Commerce. Tom is a race fan through and through. He used to hitchhike to Devil's Bowl when he was a kid, and he was one of the lead organizers of the event for the city. He told me that excitement was at a fever pitch for those two years, and when a quote-unquote local celebrity race was added to the card, he was the first one to sign up. Alas, he wrecked in turn one on the first lap when three other inexperienced racers wadded him up at the corner of Whale Street, and some 38 years later, it was clear that he's still a little bitter about it. Nevertheless, Tom Donahue said that those two Rutland Grand Prix events were among his proudest achievements working in the community, and although he doesn't have any pull in it these days, he believes that such an event could successfully be presented again. You never know, folks. Should we try it? This edition of Storytime on Uncommon Deeds has been brought to you by our friends at ProHeat. We are in the dead of winter here in the north, and if you're cold at home now, or if you want to get ready for next winter, ProHeat of East Montpelier, Vermont is the only call you need to make. With 21 years in business and more than 30 years of experience in the industry, the staff at ProHeat are constantly learning and evolving and ready to tackle any and every situation in a hurry and get it right. ProHeat is a one-stop shop for sales, installation, and service of furnaces, oil tanks, gas, oil, electric, and hybrid water heaters, cold climate heat pumps, Renai space heaters, gas and oil boilers, and much more. For more information, visit ProHeat on Facebook or call the East Montpelier office at 802-479-9330, or you can call Michael John Massetti directly at 802-272-0964. Professional, reliable, on-time ProHeat. Now, let's get into this week's episode of Uncommon Deeds. We are happy to be in person with not one but two um, Vermont racing legends, part of a very large racing family. Um, and we are sitting at the desk of Gary Karen, joined by his brother Larry. Uh, Big-time winners from the early 70s all the way up through uh, the, the late 90s, and these guys really were uh, the Cats Meow and the Late Models and the Tigers and the Hurricanes before that, Thunder Road, Catamount, a couple of times at Oxford, and uh, we'll get into the rest of the stuff too. Bush North Series, ACT, uh, this is a big deal, and the family legacy continues with uh, nephew Sammy being the reigning Tiger champion at Thunder Road. So this is a, a cool one, and one that I know you were kind of excited for. Yeah. Um, so let's get into it. So we usually start at the uh, at the beginning, and when do you guys kind of remember motorsports coming into your life? 
Well, I remember motorsports coming to my life when my brother Larry there he started building a car in probably early 70s, I think it was. A Ford Thunderbird, his first car. We ran that up to Thunder Road. I mean, a Catamount, excuse and me. Thunder and Thunder Road. Mm-hmm. What year was that, Larry? That was 1974. Well, how did it be before that? Because I've got you winning in 71. So Yeah, well, <laughs> must have been. <laughs> must have been. All right, all right. 71, 72. Um, were you guys race fans, or did somebody oh, yeah, have yeah. a race car that you, you saw, and you're like, oh, we should try that? I mean, how did it start? Well, it started, I used to drag race. Oh, at the okay. drag strip? I raced at Milton Drag Strip for a number of years. And uh, when the drag strip closed down, we drag raced in Senea, Naperville, a few of those tracks. And we just uh, too far to travel, so we started going to Catamount, watching the races, and got inspired. Were you any good at drag racing? Yeah, yeah, we were pretty good. Yeah? yeah we held our own. Did you run like a... A rail dragster or no, a we stock ran, car? Uh, or? Stock car, you know, uh, G-Stock automatic and cars like that. What was your best ET? My best ET was a 1395, I believe. I feel like that's scary fast for yeah, back then. That was, you know, fast enough for yeah. a stock car. Yeah. Uh, Gary, were you, I mean, you're a few years younger, but were you helping out or were you... Too young? Were you? Well, I didn't on? help him much on his drag racing, but when he got into the circle track racing, we all went up and helped. You know, yeah. help him tear it apart, build it. Yeah, and anything needed to be done, that's what we did. And it, were you guys always kind of in to the automotive, into the mechanics, and working on the things? Oh yeah, you know, yeah our, our father was a body auto body repair man, and we followed his suit. All in business together at that time. So, so for context, for people that won't know, um, there are four racing brothers, and do each of you have an auto body shop? We're, we're at Gary's right now. Um, uh, we're at Gary's right now. At one time, each of us did have a body right, shop. Right, yeah. Um, you were East End. I was right, East End. Out in Williston. Williston. We're at Karen's Collision on Shelburne, Shelburne Road. Road. And then there was, uh, Dennis was in Colchester on yep. Route 2A. Richard was on Airport Parkway. So you have the entire county covered. If you're, if there's a wreck, one of you guys is going to touch it. Yeah, we get hands on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, your father was into it. Yes. Now, how did that start? Or I mean, was it? Uh, was there a family tradition of automotive stuff? Or, yeah, or basically, we all followed suit. Yeah. You know, we, uh, he, he would take each of us and bring us to work and start us young. All in the trade from him. Mm-hmm. He used my father used to work on uh, Smitty's. Uh, they had race cars where he worked in Winooski. It's where the Burlington High School or uh, Winooski High School was. Oh, um, Ivanhoe Smith. Ivanhoe Smith. Smith. That's where he worked. And he used to work on those cars that they had. All right. They had race cars. They used to race down the bay. Yeah. 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 Ivanhoe Smith is the guy responsible for getting all the laws about racing started. <laughs> 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 So, Gary, are you just kind of like the younger brother is whatever Larry's into? Like, yes, I want to do that too. Exactly. I like to do it. I saw, when I saw him uh, winning a few races, you know, you want to get into it and do it. 
So when he got going for a while and he was building another car, changing, I bought his old car and, you know, went from there. No freebies. No freebies. <laughs> no not in racing. Yeah. <laughs> Would you guys uh, characterize yourselves as daredevils? I mean, you're drag racing and you're building race cars, or was it just a way to compete? I mean, were you doing stupid stuff out in the roads? or? Oh, no, not yeah. really. Yeah. You know, a little street racing, they all did that. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, we were responsible. It was just uh, we were all into the mechanical end and back in the muscle car era. So. Mm. So not the Chuck Beatty seventy plus moving violations. <laughs> no, we don't have that. No, I did get a ticket for one hundred and sixteen. Really? Yeah. Okay. What were you driving? Corvette. Yeah, that'll do it. Um, how far apart are the four brothers in age? Uh, Gary is the youngest, and I'm the oldest. And he's we're eight years apart. Yeah. Okay, so your your folks were busy. Um, what's it like growing up in a household like that? That was fun. You know, Chaos? Chaotic sometimes, yeah. but uh, there were seven of us. Seven? seven. Okay. Seven children. So we're real busy. Yeah. Gary's the youngest of the seven, and I've got two sisters older than I am. Okay. Competitive between yeah. all the kids? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody, you know, get a chance to get a hold of the old man's car, you... Beat it a little bit, right? <laughs> Were your sisters into automotive stuff and, and going fast and uh, any of the racing really. stuff? No? no. Well, you had Janice oh, drove your Janice drove your uh, drag yeah. racing car, and she won all the powder, powder puffs they had. Really? Yeah. All right. It was they had seven races, and she won them all. Now, how was mom about all this? She was. She didn't she mind it a it. bit. Yeah. No. So, Gary, what was the first thing you got behind the wheel of? Racing wise, racing wise was uh, like a '70 Chevy Nova. It was a Tiger car that Larry had, and I bought it from him. And I think you had that uh, Street Stalker before that. Oh, that I did. That's right. I'm sorry, Prix. I take that back. I had a Pontiac Grand Prix, and we sold that to Jimmy Barton when we were done with it. But everybody did. Yeah, yeah, and that that was a good car. <laughs> yeah. We ran that up at uh, Catamount for I think a, what, a year or two. Yeah, yeah. Won a few races with that one. Me and my brother Richard used to swap off. One would drive, then the next one, then the next one. We'd swap back and forth. Yeah. So I want to get to that because the the street stock thing was you guys dominated in that. But Larry started well before that, so we'll mm-hmm. we'll start there. Um, after the drag racing stuff, um, you know, Catamount was so convenient mm-hmm. if you're mm-hmm. if you're in this part of the state to get to, and fun, and everybody went there and. It was kind of its own world. Um, and you were, Larry, I mean, you were dominant all right from the beginning. Yeah, you know, uh, the, the competition wasn't quite there when I started in the hurricane division, but soon uh, a lot of other guys came into it and the competition built up. But yeah, we had a Ford Thunderbird and it, we ran awful good with it. We had a lot of fun with that car. Mm-hmm. Now, I remember uh, reading stuff and seeing even a picture or two. Norm Sear mm-hmm. was in that class, and when they first started it, um, they had headlights in the cars, and they turned the track lights off and race them in the dark. Were you part of that? No. That seems <laughs> insane. Got tired of picking up the glass. Yeah, yeah. Well, and probably tired of Norm, too. 
Um, so the hurricanes were, I guess, if we're going to compare them to something today, you might think of like a V8 street stock or a renegade over at Airborne or, or mm-hmm. something like that. Not quite a Tiger car. Um, more stock, right? More stock, yeah. Um, and you had a Thunderbird, is that what you guys said? I started out with a Thunderbird, and then the following year I bought a Chevrolet, Mr. Hathaway. It was an ex Mo Dubois car. Oh. And uh, so I bought that, and we put that together, and we were quite successful. What, was it a late model that you converted? or? Mm, yeah, I think it was, yeah. Interesting. Was that... Were people funny about that, or or were there no, race cars no, in that no, division? It was, you know, I, I took out the quick change, and it had a, a truck front spindle on it and a cage in it, and that's basically what we needed. Yeah, and, gotcha. Yeah. Did you immediately start kind of popping around and checking out Thunder Road too, or did you stick oh, yeah. to Catamount? Oh yeah, yeah. We started going up Thunder Road whenever we could once we got the bug. Which one did you prefer? Because they were not similar I liked at them all. Both. Really, I liked them both. Yeah, I did. Hmm. Now, did you have to change the car much? Not much. No, nobody did that back then. Yeah. You know. Just kind of go. Pretty much went up the way you were. Mm-hmm. What was your? Those hurricanes wrecked them a lot, right? Yeah. Did you get in a big one? Oh, we got in our share. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the first car, like I told you, that I bought that was an ex Blue Boys car. I wrecked that at Thunder Road and it totaled it. We built another one in a week, you know, transferring parts from one to the other. Yeah. 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 So, Gary, what were your kind of impressions between Catamount and Thunder Road? Well, Catamount was really nice, you know, smooth, sweeping track that you could get around good. But Thunder Road was more fun. It was always a little challenge and... I like that a lot better myself. Yeah. Now, Larry, you ran for almost a decade before Gary got started and the rest of the brothers. Um, but you were really, I mean, I, I said the word dominant, and I meant it. You you kind of killed them in the 70s. There was one year, well, your first year you had six wins, mm-hmm. four at Catamount, two at Thunder Road. The next year you had 11 wins. Mm-hmm. I mean, you said the competition wasn't quite there, but you can't. Put it all on that, can you? No, can't put it all on that. We worked hard on the car, and uh, I used to help the Dragon crew a little bit, and they gave me some hints and some little technique of what I should do to my car, and uh, that always worked out, mm-hmm. trading labor. Yep. How much time were you guys putting in kind of on the car when you're kind of in an environment where you can work on cars where you getting the opportunity to put that extra time in? Oh, yeah. yeah. You kind of made the opportunity. Were you guys starting families at this point? Or? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Was that a tough balance? And, and I don't know, when did you start the auto body shop? Uh, we started the auto body shop around the same time, around 1970. So you were full throttle in we every direction. Full throttle, and it takes a, a wife that's willing to put up with it. And I happened to have one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she said it went hand in hand with the business. Many were not so fortunate. No. <laughs> was she a race fan? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I mean, so it was organic, or or did she learn to love it because yeah, I guess this is what uh, we're doing? No, she learned to love it because I did. Yeah, okay. you know? yeah. And 
a lot of nights she went with the kids in one arm and a blanket in the other mm-hmm. and waded through the whole thing. <laughs> you know, I mean, Catamount was known for vocal fans. Mm-hmm. What sound were they making when you pulled into Victory Lane? Were they cheering you or were they booing you? Did they get tired of it? You got a combination. Yeah. <laughs> but you're, well, I don't know. Are you local? Are you considered local at that we were, point? Yeah, yes, I mean, because we Milton is Milton, Milton and that's Catamount. Milton. I was originally from Westford. That's close enough. After I got married, I lived in South Burlington. So, yeah, we were, we were local. Okay. All right. And the Dragon Connection, I'm sure, helped. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Nice guys. Yeah. John Kiefer, Frankie Woodard. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have any designs on moving up after a while? I mean, I know that you did eventually, you know, many years later, but well, you must I, have been kind of like, all right, this is the same thing every week. I would like to moved up earlier, but, you know, when you're starting a, a shop, a business, a family, uh, we had to make concessions. Mm-hmm. And Gary Witt at the same time or... Were you far behind in terms of the family? And Oh, yeah, I was a little bit behind that. You know, I didn't have a family yet. and It's a lot easier to race when you don't have a wife and kids, you know. Mm-hmm. That's fair. But when they came along, everybody's got to gotta <clears throat> bend a little bit each way. <laughs> By the late 70s, all four of you guys are racing. Yeah. And there's a few nights where at least two of you are winning on the same night. Um, I mean... That's not common. So were you guys able to, I don't know, uh, enjoy it and realize what was happening or did you care? Yeah, yeah we did. You know, yeah. we, were, we were helping each other along the way. Yeah. <clears throat> kind of yeah. like a slightly newer version of the Ingerson brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, Gary. and are you guys all working on everybody's stuff or is it like... Four trailers all next to each other, and no, everybody worked on their own pretty much. If you needed a little help, you know, or questions you had to ask about setting something up or whatever, like Larry gave us a lot of setups on the car. It was a lot easier to to make it go when you know what to what to do with it at first, you know. Which brother was the least willing to give tips? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. They probably didn't give us any tips. Probably they didn't have any extra <clears throat> extra ones to give us. But yeah. <laughs> we were all learning at that time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Learning the right camber and caster and all that, you know, to get it to work for you. So, Gary, you came along in the street stocks while Larry's winning at the at this point. The Hurricanes had transitioned into limited sportsman and then Grand Am, right? Grand, Grand Am. Am. <clears throat> so. Larry wins the championship in 1979, which Richard Bootsy had killed everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And then you put a stop to it. Um, and at the same time, uh, Richard and Dennis and Gary are all winning street stock races. Was there any rivalry between you guys? Like, I'm going to win tonight. No, I'm going to win tonight. And No, we never that? had that. Really? <laughs> no, I don't think we ever had that. Yeah. As no. far as Richard Bootsy... He helped me build some of the cars. Yeah. Yeah, we were good friends. Did the flow of information stop when you started beating him? (laughs) No, not really. No. uh, You know, uh, Richard was... I kind of met him up at Thunder Road. Is Naturally, he's from Barrie area. And uh, we became good friends. We were competitors. 
I helped him on some of his stuff, and he would work with me on mine. We've heard from a few people kind of about that, how in that era, how fun it was where, you know, if someone wrecked, eight crew members from eight different teams would come over and mm-hmm. try to help, and mm-hmm. everyone's willing to help. And now, currently, it's far more like cloak and dagger, and everyone's yeah. terrified someone's going to see something they don't yeah. want them to see. They put banners on Covering the everything up. Yeah. They don't want uh, nobody yeah. to see their setup. Yeah. No, I wasn't like that back then. Everybody helped. Do you think that was better? It was definitely a lot better. Mm-hmm. Well, we were all pretty green then. You could look at something you didn't even know what you were looking at. And everything comes from the junkyard. Yeah, everything came from a junkyard back yeah. then. There was no shiny parts. So, all right, this is an interesting one that maybe a lot of people that we've talked to on the show wouldn't have the access to. You guys have four body shops. And there's a lot of junk just sitting out there waiting to be picked up and taken to scrap. Mm-hmm. You must have robbed parts at some point, right? Oh, yeah. The statute of limitations has passed at this point. I'm sure oh. when, I, when I first start running uh, Grand Am Division with a straight six, we had a shop on Maple Street, and a good friend of ours owned the yellow cab business. And all those yellow cabs were six-cylinder Chevy engines. Mm. So we ended up scarfing a few of their engines when we needed them. Yeah. Yeah. Whether they knew it or not, or... Oh, they knew it. Oh, okay. Oh, they knew it. <laughs> Gary kind of rolled his eyes there. No, no, <laughs> no stealing. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> he ran a lot of uh, motors. You could just put one out of a, pull one out of a junkyard and put it in the next night so you had one. I did it myself. Yeah. yeah. And they worked. You uh, okay? So did you do you have a crazy story like that where you blow up on a Thursday night at Thunder Road and go to Ratty's or something and and get a spare car and win with it Saturday? No. Well, when we first started running those six cylinders, we were actually turning them just a couple hundred RPMs too tight, and they would take the harmonic balancer off or would take the flywheel off. Uh, so we went through a lot of motors that summer. I think there was nine or ten we did. And David Cagle was my crew chief. Yep. And he would come to me on a Sunday morning after Saturday night and say, give me the keys to the shop. And he'd go down and put another motor in it. That gets old. Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> I did have one one night when I uh, went up to Thunder Road, went out to just warm up, my motor let go. So I pulled it in, and my brother had my second a second car that I had. And he says, take this car. I said, no, 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 I don't want to take it. He said, well, I'll take it. So I took it, went out, and won the feature that night with it. God, I love it. When did you know, Gary, that you wanted to progress and move up to Tigers? And Well, as soon as I could afford it, <laughs> for one thing. You know, then you're trying to get all your stuff together and get a trailer and get every, you know, all your tools. And I don't know, I'd say... Probably the mid '80s, something like that. Yeah, um, that's when I really yeah, wanted to move up. Yeah, the, the Tigers sort of were reborn because Catamount had started to fall on hard times at the beginning of the '80s, late '70s, early '80s, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then they sold the track and then had to lease it back from the business development people, and then mm-hmm. Thunder Road was closed. For the better part of four years, it ran just a couple of races. Yeah. Um, were you guys kind of thinking like, 
great. What are we What are we going to do? Well, the tracks were still there, and we knew it was a dollar and cent thing. So we just thought we'd wait it out. And we ran where we could, you know. Uh, I went to Plattsburgh a few nights, and there was other tracks. Mm-hmm. Devil's Bowl. Yeah. Did you run on the dirt? Yeah. Really? Well, I was paved when I ran there. Okay. Yeah. All right. I was paved when I ran there. Yep. I went up one night and ran up in Newport at a dirt track. A Can Am. Yeah. Oh, tell us about that. Well, it was good, just dirty. Yeah. <laughs> so I've, uh, I've been told that if you wrecked, you ended up on a garbage pile. I mean, is that, did you have uh, that experience? I didn't wreck, but uh, I was towards the end of the pack. It was uh, an experience, put yeah. it that way. <laughs> what did you think of driving on dirt and driving on uh, literally a landfill? I wasn't really ready for it. Yeah. You know, I, I wasn't, wasn't equipped. I went up and just to give it a try. And it wasn't that great. Not for me, anyway. What did it smell like? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> but I know it wasn't a landfill, yeah. yeah. <laughs> did Had you moved up when he was winning his Tiger Championship at that point at Thunder Road? Uh, so that was 84? No, I hadn't yet. I was still... I don't think You were so. close behind. You must have done. Um, with my... Research and all that stuff. You were Larry. You were champion in '84 at Thunder Road. Yeah, and, at Thunder Road. And the state champion, which was the two tracks combined. And Gary's first win was the next year. Yeah, that was his his car that I. Did you guys race with each other? Because in '85 you moved up to the I tour. Moved up to late model. Yeah. 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 To the tour. So Tours there was tour. no crossover. It was literally he. No, we, we never raced against each other. I not Isn't not at Thunder long? Road. We did it in the in the NASCAR North Series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We ran at uh, Riverside Park. We ran a whole season with them, and uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was pretty good. I had Hector Leclerc's old car I'd bought, and refurbished it. And yeah, went good. It was fun. Yeah. So. Um, then I guess we'll start again with Larry on this. It, the Tigers saved racing in Vermont, at least the asphalt stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Thunder Road needed something, had nothing. It had been closed, right. really, like I said, for four years. And they started with the 1966 rule book and yeah. said, okay, boys, make some race cars. And for Five years, it was the only division at Thunder Road, right. um, and it started small, but it immediately grew and exploded into this amazing thing. Um, I want to ask you about the qualifying system, because it was the heats and the semis and the quarterfinals and the consies and the Bs and all this crazy. How did you navigate that? It was a lot of, a lot of racing. Yeah. You know? I mean, guys, you could win a heat race and not qualify for the That's future. Right. That ever happened to you, uh, or, or either of you? I don't remember racing don't it remember when it was not qualifying, but yeah, yeah it we could, could get tough if you had bad luck that day. Yeah. You might be racing the last chance. Yeah, we saw some programs a little while ago at Allen Ward's, and literally it was a diagram that looked like something out of like my algebra class from college. Oh, it was wild. <laughs> There's literally. You know, squares and circles and triangles and arrows crossing each other. If you're in heat four, you're probably going to race in Conci one right. with a group from. I uh, just it's <clears throat> unbelievable. Um, 
And it was to fill the show because there was nothing else. That's right. They were trying to make a show out of it. Did you... Uh, and, of course, it's Tom Curley's in charge here. Mm-hmm. And he's still relatively new yeah. at this point. Um, were you guys ever like, can we just race and get on with it? Or, mm-hmm. like, did, you know, there's a lot of Barnum and Bailey with him. Yeah. Well, Tom was a hell of a promoter, you know. Yeah. Uh, he really knew how to do it. And it didn't take him long to learn. And we raced because we love racing. Yeah. There so long, did you guys always have a great relationship with Tom, or? No. Not great, <laughs> but all right, you know. You always had a couple of disagreements with him. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Who was in charge before Tom? I mean, I don't know if we've ever, because it wasn't Ken. I mean, Ken was the owner of the tracks, but nobody. it wasn't nobody. Really. Tom Curley was at Catamount all the time. I remember running everything. I'm trying to think of the guy's name. Not Archie Blackadard, no. I mean, I know Steve McLeod, who was at Thunder Road. I don't know if he was at Catamount. I don't know what his role was at Thunder Road. But he kind of had the hat on at one point. Yeah, yeah, at one point. Um, or was it more kind of the inmates running the asylum? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> inmates running the asylum. Tom Curley ran it pretty much all the time. He yeah. was at Catamount. As far as I remember, for a long time, he was the guy up in the booth. Yeah. yeah he and he was announcing at that point, too. He was announcing. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. He was Flagman, announcer. I can picture it. And probably calling the shots on the yeah, radio. Yeah. Mm. And screaming. Yeah. He, <laughs> he made it work. Was he welcomed? Kind of with open arms when he, yeah, when he came so. in? Because, of course, he's so. You know what I mean? Because we didn't have anybody that put the kind of attention and time that Tom would put into it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you could see he was working hard at it. So everybody kind of had to buy in. Um, so the 80s are kind of the zenith for Vermont racing. They really were. Yeah, they were. Um, Gary, you are now in a championship-winning Tiger, really kind of getting going in earnest um, and winning races right away with your brother's car. Um, at that time, Larry is moving up to the NASCAR North Tour, which is – the elite, you know, mm-hmm. your Robbie Crouch and the Dragons and Randy LaJoy and all these guys. Um, so you're kind of off on your own, Larry. That's right. Yeah. But Richard and Dennis are still with you in, in Tigers. Did you right. guys stick together then at that point? You'd, you'd had some years under your belt. Well, everybody would help everybody if they needed it, but yeah. pretty much did your own thing. You know, yeah. we'd share our setups or whatever we were doing. And... Uh, it was all one for themselves, and everybody, you know, went their own ways. Did you guys ever wreck each other? Come close. One night, Dennis kind of got out of shape in front of me, and I wondered why he went up, tagged the wall, and came back down across in front of me. His steering wheel came off. <laughs> <laughs> it was close. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was saying a few words as he went by. <laughs> That's I feel like one. that's got to be a real... If you're going to see Jesus, that's probably a time when you're holding the steering wheel and it's no longer connected. Yeah. Well, he, he said he grabbed a little stub there, tried to turn it. <laughs> Did anything stupid like that happen to you? Uh, not like that. Only the hood flying up a couple times. I was same, all done that. The same night. The same night. <laughs> same night. I love it. In the heat race. And then when I went out for the Concy, same thing happened. The hood flew up again, and they put the hood pins in. I remember there was one time when I was helping Pat, and he was getting ready to head out, 
and thankfully I tapped my pocket and I felt the hood pins. I've never run so fast in my life <laughs> to get there before he went out. And I could see the look on his face when he saw me popping them in. <laughs> well, it was a surprise. The first time it just went up and hit the windshield. The next time it ripped it right off. So, <laughs> Oh, well, you didn't have to stop. That's so I didn't have to stop. That's I kept perfect. going. Yeah, do it like that every time. Did, it, did you have any dumb stuff? And I always ask that question later in the show. But uh, I had a Thunder Road once, the steering wheel wasn't on security. Is this a family trait here? I mean, well, it's it's not hard to do. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not hard to do. You put it on and it should click on and if it doesn't, you just give one little tug on it and you've got it in your hands. But I was on the back stretch and I just spun out. All right. No time hmm. lost. Something you can pass on to the boys later. That's right. right. And something you can joke about. That's right. So, Larry, did you feel like you were ready to go for that next step into the NASCAR North? Yeah, I did. Did you have a good amount of crew kind of to help you out? Uh, That was a key to it, uh, having some people that will help you out. I had David Cagle building the engines, and uh, I had a gentleman that worked for me, Zolt Rigo, a Hungarian, that was very, very into it. Very good race mechanic. So I saw, I was, again, looking stuff up for this, and I saw his name, and I'd never heard of him. Mm -hmm. What's his background? Uh, we came from Hungary. They were refugees, and he was a tailor. Really? By trade. His parents were a tailor by trade. And he, when I first met him, he worked at Shepin Hamel. Huh. And uh, he got into the habit of coming down to our shop, which was down on Lower Church Street at the time, at lunchtime, and he started getting interested in the race car, and he wanted to work on it. Next thing we knew, he was working for us full time. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Was that kind of your first time really getting out and going to different tracks? Yes. And Mm -hmm. having Mm -hmm. to learn on the fly? Right. Did you have anybody that you could kind of chat with that would kind of at least get you a starter? Yeah. Starter Mm -hmm. pack? Yeah. Yeah. I had some people I could chat with. Ricky Ganya which was Bobby uh, Dragon's crew chief yeah. at one time. Yeah. And, uh, I could ask him where we were going, you know, what, what gear ratio should we run up there? And, uh, yeah, he was very helpful. Mm. Yeah. I, there's not a race car he hasn't worked on. No. That's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you arrive with any sort of notoriety being the guy from Catamount and Thunder Road and, and winning all the races, or did they not care? They don't care. Yeah. No. You're starting all over. Right. <laughs> Rookie. Every time you move up a division, you're starting at the bottom. So, I mean, those are elite race cars at that time. Mm-hmm. And what was that like for you to bang around to that big right front tire at Thunder Road, sticking out in the wall, going to, you know, a purpose-built real mm-hmm. race car? It was a learning process, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, well, we did all right. Not right off the bat, but, uh, you know, halfway through the first year, we were doing pretty good. And uh, eventually I picked up a sponsor, D.G. Robinson. Uh, He was a great guy. And uh, we got another motor. We got a 311. We finished third at Manadnock. Uh, You know, we we had some good races. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where was your favorite place that you went to for the first time? Where you had maybe the most fun? Oh, gee. Oxford, probably. 
Went fast. Went fast. Tried to qualify for the 250. There's 100 cars. Yeah. None of them are under the same roll package. No. We came within one spot of qualifying the first time we mm. tried, so. Was there like a, oh my God moment when you are in staging for a heat race or something and you're next to Daryl Waltrip or something? I don't know. I'm just making it up, but. Yeah, there was. Uh, I'm trying to think of the year. I think it was 88. The Southerners came up with their cars and these guys were going out and putting down practice laps that we never heard of. And we were like figuring we're like five tenths off. Oh. And uh, yeah, so we started in a Concy. There was 23 cars in the Concy, and we were starting like 18th or something like that. And you're beside L.D. Ottinger, you know, all the big names, yeah. all the big names. And to our surprise, we finished second. From 18th? Yeah. Wow. These guys, once we got going, uh, after 15 laps, their cars their cars were slowing way down, and we weren't. They're were time trial guys, right? Yeah. yeah. We were in that same heat race. We were in that same heat race. We started, Both side, we started side by side. Really? Mm-hmm. He came up through, and I, I had to spin it like on the infield because L.D. Ottinger spun in front of me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was going to either hit him or turn it. So I, I mean, those are, those are Bush cars. Those are yeah. Yeah. the cars yeah. that race Daytona. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. As he makes that transition, Gary, do you get to kind of, could you enjoy kind of what he was doing and accomplishing, or were you almost too far removed doing your own stuff at Thunder Road? Well, no, I enjoyed, you know, when I get a chance to go watch him, we'd go. uh, But they were traveling quite a a way. He was going down to Jennerstown and Pennsylvania, Take some time to get down there and do all that. Mm-hmm. But were, you, he was, were you even a little bit relieved that he was gone and made it easier for you to win races? I'm, and I'm asking this genuinely. It's one of the big stars has gone. But up here, we never ran that much together. So no. it didn't really... Sure, but it took out a guy that you would have had to beat. Yeah, well, I never thought of it like that, you know. If we'd have, if we'd have been out there, we would have probably been rubbing, rubbing sides anyway, you know. <laughs> right, right. But... Uh, no, I never thought of it like that. We just, you're thinking of the moment at the time, you right. know, what you're doing and yeah. try to get that done. Yeah. Um, 85, your first year in on the tour, Larry. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, of course, we've talked about it a hundred times on the show, the split between Curly and NASCAR. And then he forms ACT. And then again, kind of like a few years before when Thunder Road and Catamount are in trouble, you're like, what are we going to do? Um, for 86, it was kind of the same thing. 87, NASCAR returns and splits the two divisions. They, they go Bush North and Curly goes with the fiberglass cars. Mm -hmm. You stuck with NASCAR with, I assume because of the equipment that you had. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, update at that point. People became literally enemies over that split. You know, long-time friends and even family members stopped talking to each other based on which side of the fence you stood on. Did you have any issues like that with losing friends out of the deal, at least for temporary? I I didn't, and, you know, it was maybe for a year, year and a half people were like that, but then everybody came back together, Mm -hmm. I think, I feel. 
Gary, were you and your brothers taking any extra grenades? Still, because you were there? here. Yeah, you were still home. You're still here, and he chooses the other. Were Were you getting the, any dirty looks? No, we never got any dirty looks from anybody. Everything was good, you know. Yeah. All right. It was yeah. always an idea of what you had for equipment, what you had for sponsors. If you could move one way or the other, most of the time that dominated where you were going to go. Could Tom understand that? In that moment? Uh, I think so. I think so. Did it hurt you at all to not be racing locally? I mean, you weren't at Thunder Road or Catamount. No, not really. No. no. And after we got done um, 1990 racing Bush North, we rebuilt one of our cars into an ACT car and ran some races with them. Tom was fine. Mm-hmm. Bush North was good to you. It was. Yeah. It was. It was a fun division. A lot of good people. And, and Gary, you mentioned Jennerstown. Pennsylvania was particularly good to you. Yeah, it was. I mean, you yeah. were second and third several times down Yeah, there. I finished very good every time we went there. Yeah. Should have won one of them. Yeah. Um, you, when you did win, was one of the more local tracks at Star. Mm-hmm. T- take us to that night. Well, we had... Uh, a good run the week before at Clearfield, Pennsylvania, and we ended up second. And we had what we called our big car, which had a big V8 in it and had to weigh the full amount. And so we didn't feel real confident going to star with it, but we had good luck with that car, so we took it anyways. And uh, we ended up, they had a deal where when you, after you qualified, if you were in the top 10, you would pick beer cans up, draw for the Bush, pole position. Bush cans, yeah. And I happened to win the pole position. So I had a good starting spot, obviously, and never let it go. Let every lap. I remember that, that race, and when he, when he was coming up through, I was watching. <coughs> and he was just about ready to lap Dick McCabe, and he was the second-place car. Really? He was, the caution came out, and he was just ready to lap him. That's an ass-kicking. Car was good that night. <laughs> now, Gary, you tried to qualify that night. In that year, you would try to make that transition. And Justin's notes say, you know, five times failed to qualify. Was that discouraging, or did you know going in that it was going to be work? I knew it was going to be hard because, you know, you had to come from the from the learning the learning curve you got to get by in the first place to yeah. do it and everybody to trust you when you're racing with them and um, it was good i wasn't expecting it you know i didn't expect to make every race mm-hmm. but it was fun when we did make them yeah you said that was uh hector leclerc car hector leclerc and so that's 1988 was that car old and just sitting there for a while or was it up to date or how did this it was Treat maybe you. a year or so it'd been sitting, I think, a year or two. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was driving it. Yeah. And he just wanted to let it, you know, wanted to get rid of it. We knew Hector, so I bought that from him. I went right through the car from one end to the other. Yeah. And it, it was a good car. Andy Costello helped me with it, gave me a hand setting it, setting it up because he worked on that car for years with Hector. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it was it was a good, good rig. Mm-hmm. Tough one. Yeah. Gary, you come back, and it's back in the Tigers. And Justin and I talk about it all the time. Kind of that 1990 was like peak of everyone's powers, and there's this giant right front tire on everything. And 
there is, you know, 40, 50, 60 cars trying to qualify. How competitive was it at that point? It was pretty competitive at that point, but I did have a little edge. Larry had figured them that big slick out for me before, and it really worked when you when you had the front end set up right on the car and the right cross weight in it. You know, they, they were at a disadvantage. <laughs> did um, racing with the Bush North, even if it was a struggle, help you in your return? Oh, yeah, definitely helped you. because we, and, and I asked that thinking about that weird right front tire and the, the setups being a, quite different. Yeah, but it, it does help you. you. When you drive a car that's a little faster, it's easier to drive a slower car. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're going to be better at it. Mm-hmm. Or even maybe, Larry, just with creative thinking, because <clears throat> there's so much more you could probably do on a Bush North car, and it gives you different ideas. That's That's true. You pick up a lot of hints when you race with these guys. Gary was always a real good driver, so no matter what you put him in, he was going to make it go. Mm-hmm. Were uh, Dennis and Richard still part of things? I mean, they, they kind of stopped racing around that time, but were they hanging out and working on the cars? Or well, they oh, come yeah. help us? Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We needed help. They come give us a hand with it. You know, mm-hmm. and they had parts. Like they always had something laying around. You need something, you go grab it. You know. Yeah. It makes it a little easier than having to take it out of your pocket. Right. Um, Tom, you know, brought it to the 90s, and that was the Gary Karen era at <laughs> Thunder Road, man. Uh, keep in mind, there's Chuck Beatty, there's Jim Silly, there's Joey LeCare, there's, you know, Tom's Burger Uncle Pat. <clears throat> yeah, Pat, Tom's yeah. Uncle Pat Corbett was there. Burger Blake was Dwayne. Dwayne and Mark. Oh, boy, the Landry you know, boys. Good Norm God. Andrews. Norm Andrews, for God's sake, who you raced with your whole career. Yeah, I always liked Norm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Norm's a good guy to good race with. Yeah. yeah, he was a real good driver. So if there's 50 cars, 30 of them can win on any given night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're doing more than your fair share of winning. I mean, any season where a driver got two or more wins was a big deal, and you got three or four almost every year. Um what were you guys doing different than everybody else? Oh, boy, I don't know what we were doing that much different. One thing I did is I always ran a smaller motor than the other guys. Mm. I always ran like a 305. I didn't run the 350s, you know, that they could run. Because they, it was, you could be 50 pounds lighter if you had that smaller motor. And at Thunder Road, you didn't need the power. Just needed to be steady. Plus... The smaller motor was lighter than the bigger motor. Right. So mm-hmm. take the weight off, the, off front the front of the car. Dave Dion won all his races with a 302. Yeah. yeah. Now, Larry, you had scaled way back at that point. Are you more transitioning into helping? Oh, yeah, sure. At that point? Yeah. Were you, you stuck around the whole time throwing wrenches around? or? Oh, yeah, I had to help yeah. them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What took you out of racing? Uh, business, family. Uh, I had put enough time in it. I kind of wanted to get in the upper division and win at it, and I did. And uh, after after that, it was going to take more money, newer cars, more sophisticated cars, bigger crew. And Cause you were done after like ninety, right? Uh, and, done full time racing. And those cars in the Bush North series stopped being the late models that Curly had sort of built yeah, up right. and became 
bush cars. I mean, real yeah. bush yeah. cars. Real bush grand national yeah. cars. So that was probably it. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. Did helping and turning wrenches kind of fill a little bit of that void for you, or yeah. was it hard kind of going and not getting behind the wheel of something? No. Uh, you know, like you say, we raced some ACT races and some other races after that. We had converted one car back into an ACT car. And I'd go up and help Gary and the boys, and that sufficed me. And then Larry, doing all the racing that he has done, he had a lot of good ideas to tell us. When he'd see him, you know, when he'd see it. that it needed this and needed that, he could tell you what to do, and it made a big difference. Yeah. Um, in 92, the Tigers stopped being what they were and became late models. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, again, you were the guy. But they were closer to everybody else's stock cars in the country. Right. Right? More <laughs> conventional setup, four right. tires that looked the same, um, nicer bodies, nicer everything. Mm-hmm. Um did that matter? I mean, did it tra- did the Tiger stuff translate into that, or was it were you using Bush North setup type mentality? No, you just have to. You did change it. You know, you couldn't go by what you were doing. There, there wasn't a bump though. No, you. no, yeah. no. Yeah, it was it was different. But it, I kind of liked it like that with the four tires the same. Yeah, the cars went better. Imagine I think, that. I think he went to ten. Didn't he go to ten inch at one time there? He might have, and they were treaded, maybe. And we had some 10-inch yeah. tires, and they really, you know, you were, the car was, and they had just paved the track or something, if yeah. I remember yeah. right. It was really... Or second and a half you could get You could get around there really well, and everybody was good. Yeah. yeah. A lot better racing, you know. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Those battles with Chuck Beatty, this is the stuff that we grew up on, you know, mm-hmm. with Chuck Beatty, with Jim Silly, with, uh, I mean, Kevin LePage ran a season in the late model. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's you up front that they're that they're trying to hang on to. Um, what's that experience like after watching Larry do that when you were younger, and now you're the guy? I mean, um, was it something that that ever crossed your mind? Like, I'd like to be that good, and then you were obviously. Well, I would. I always wanted to be that good, but you know, you don't know what's going to happen until you get there. You know. And, you got to treat the guys that are around you racing with pretty good too, because otherwise they they can make it miserable for you. Yeah. What yeah. are those battles like? Yeah, Chuck and those guys were good. If you ran them clean, they ran you back like that. You know what I mean? And uh, there's some guys that would rub you a little bit, but most of them were pretty good. Tom mentioned Dwayne. Well, the Lamphere boys would know how to do it. <laughs> and they, they were always more upset after the race. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Justin mentioned kind of. You're always at the top in wins, year after year. Are you discouraged, for lack of a better term, that you're not getting that track championship and you're always kind of right there as a bridesmaid? Or were you just racing race by race? If we get it, we get it. I want to win. No, pretty discouraged. You know, I wanted to win a championship, but it just didn't happen. I came close and, you know, some... Freak thing would happen, and you'd be done, right? <laughs> yeah, with that many people. I but I'd li- I'd have liked to have won one. I tried. I think I was two, three times there. I was second place in one in the, mm-hmm. in the point standings at the end of the year. Let's bring up another painful memory then. In '95, ACT championship. I mean, you killed them all year, and you were the first guy to ever win three in a row on the tour. Oxford Thunder Road and Oxford, right? Yeah. 
And then you lost by three points. What <laughs> what happened? Well, I, it was almost at the end of the race over in Plattsburgh. They had a rain out the week before, and we went back, and I was driving a Mo Graves car. And the car was oh. good, but Mo had changed the cam in it through the week. So the car was flat, didn't have any pickup like it had the first time we went with it, the first week. And at the end of the race, it just... It was like seven, eight laps left, and I came into the corner, and it was on a restart, and Dave Whitcomb came in harder and just tapped me in the back, and around I went. And when I did, some other guy bumped into my left front and bent the control arm, and I was screwed. So I would have liked to have won it, but yeah. it wasn't going to happen. What, is it, mm, what does it feel like watching it slip away like that? Yeah. Mm. We would have liked to would have liked to have done it, but, I but it just didn't happen. Does it light the fire though? Or or are you defeated? Like I mean, are you like, okay, next year we're gonna get him? No, I, I just said that I let it go. I, what are you gonna do with it, right? It's, yeah. It's over you start sober. looking at next year. Start yeah. looking at next year. Yeah. 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 Did you have any close ones like that, Larry? Uh, gee, you must have had. I don't remember really. Uh, you know, anytime you win a championship, it's hard. It's tight. People are competitive, and uh, with yeah. uh, what's his name, um, Clem Despo. Clem Despo. Yeah. Yeah, we Clem and I battled for the championship in '84, and uh, we got to the Milk Bowl, and we were just a few points apart. And Clem had a real fast car that night, that day, and. Uh, I passed him on the last lap of the first segment, and that really shook him up. The next segment, he unfortunately got into the wall, so it made it easier for me. Mm. So it came down to the wire. Yeah, it came down to the wire. It was like three, four points apart. Mm. Clem was a hot dog too. We I guess yeah, we, haven't, was, we haven't mentioned was, it, but especially was, in that yeah, era. Yeah, he was good. Mm-hmm. Same as when we raced all those races in 95 and won those features, those 100 lappers. I was only running a 305 Chevy then against the 350s. What was it about Oxford that you were so good at? Was it the motor? I mean, was it, it the It was just the motor because yeah. I, didn't, I didn't have a faster car than anybody. The, guys, the other guys would power by me on the straightaway, and then through the corner I'd leave them by two, three car lengths. Mm. It was just better through the corners. It was handled way much, you know, way better. When we started running late models at Oxford, we had a 350 in it, and we'd unhook the secondaries in the carburetor. Really? Just to take that away, because if you weren't careful with the throttle, you'd spin the rear wheels. Yeah. And uh, less power was better there. Mm. Similar to Thunder Road, right? I yeah. Mean, the same concept. Why the V6s came along and dominated. Yeah. If you've got a home project going on, your first stop should be Barry Tile and Morrison Clark Incorporated. From flooring to kitchens, from bathrooms to outdoor projects, from your home to your business, they are number one in central Vermont. As you've heard on this show, Justin and I are officially middle-aged super dads now. And one of our favorite hobbies is looking at the Barry Tile Facebook page to see their latest projects. I love the carpeting and hardwood flooring, And he loves the kitchen countertops and shower installations. And it's true. 
Barry Tile has been family owned for 50 years and their experience shows in every single job. It's high quality work by highly qualified people who can design and install everything you need to upgrade your home or office. It's not a big chain store. It's local people with common sense and a ton of skill. Be like us and check out the Barry Tile Facebook page to see some examples of their incredible work. Or you can give them a call at 802-476-0912. You can also stop into the showroom at 889 South Barry Road in Barry, Vermont, and tell them that the guys from Uncommon Deeds sent you. This winter has certainly reminded us of what it's like to be without electricity, and it's no fun at all. So don't let it happen again. Call Bushy's Generator Sales and Service so that you and your family are ready for the next storm. Whether it's Kohler or Briggs & Stratton, Bushy's is Vermont's leader for home standby generators and for Briggs & Stratton portable generators. With manufacturer-certified technicians, free in-home estimates, factory warranties, service after the sale, and 0% financing all available to you, it's easy to see why Bushy's is number one. And they're doing it again, by the way, when you call Bushy's Generator Sales and Service between now and Thunder Road's Memorial Day Classic, mention that you heard this ad on Uncommon Deeds and save $500. Bushy's Generator Sales and Service covers all of Vermont and New Hampshire, as well as Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New York. Give them a call at 802-591-1903 or visit their Facebook page or bushysgenerator.com. Bushy's Generator Sales and Service of Springfield and Brookfield, Vermont. We keep your power on. Did your kids show the interest in it kind of right away? Did you know, like, okay, we're going to yeah, have... Because all of you have kids that have raced, right? Yeah. yeah. We're all, we got a plan for the next kind of generation that all wants their shot. Yeah. 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 Right. Uh, they all came to the races with us, and when they were old enough, they couldn't wait to get in the pits, of course. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. They all wanted to try it. Yeah. My son Kyle, I took him with me to the races over in Plattsburgh one night. He was like 11 or 12. And I put him in the trailer to go in the pits. Oh, come on. And he, <laughs> I've done, I did that ride a few times. Especially if they thought it was going to be a rain out. And they didn't want me to sit out in the grandstands by myself. Smuggly in the trailer. He got in there. He, he kept sneaking out. He'd sneak out of the trailer and he'd be up by the fence pretty quick. And I'd have to drag him back. Yeah. And he'd come back out. But he loved it. He loved it. And then he he built cars for me and everything. Mm-hmm. He was a really, he's really talented about that stuff. Yeah, he is. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dennis had come back right around the time that you're you're winning late model races, and he was competitive. He had a kind of a low buck operation, but yeah. um, he stole some trophies a few nights, mm-hmm. um, which was kind of uh, not, not an upset. Well, yeah, I guess it would be an upset. I mean, he won races in the '80s, but um, you know, he was sort of a, a disruptor there for a minute. Mm-hmm. That was one of my first old Tiger cars, really, that he had then, and I think Larry was helping him with that car. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he'd done a nice job in the in the early nineties. He he mm-hmm. really kind of overperformed. Yeah. yeah, Dennis is a good driver. Yeah, yeah. he yeah. was. He always tangled with Doug Hoare over there at Plattsburgh. He had trouble. Well, everybody. him and them them guys just couldn't get apart from each other. Brian told us the story of why that happened because everybody tangled with Doug at Plattsburgh. <laughs> 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 there was no brake pedal and in that car. No, <laughs> and occasionally mixed up the two of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Brian paid for Doug's mistakes a lot. Um, <laughs> this might start a war, but who's the best driver among you? Hard to tell. Yeah? I'd say probably Larry. Yeah. 
Yeah. It all depends when we were in our prime. Uh, Gary's an awful good driver. I, I wouldn't want to take anything away from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would but, you have liked to go kind of head-to-head in something at yeah, some point? competitive, yeah. We've always been competitive. Yeah. We ran door-to-door with those late models, those uh, Grand yeah. Na- Bush Grand Nationals, and we never never tangled us. What was good about it? Yeah. Um, what, I mean, what is it about Larry that you think makes him the best driver in the family? He's smooth and he's smart. <clears throat> he knows how to figure the guy in front of him. He can, you know, watch him and see what he's doing, and then he gets him. <laughs> and in your opinion, which one of those two are you lacking? Smooth or smart? <laughs> I'm aggressive. I always tried to. Drive in deep, you know, maybe some people would do different, but that's the way I liked it. Get yeah. in there, get way down into the corner, you know. Yeah. I'm going to find out if it's going to stick. Uh, Larry, I'm going to ask you the same question because you're high on Gary. What What was it that you saw in him? He was just persistent. He would not give up. He didn't always have the fastest car, but he was smooth on the outside, and he liked to run the outside. And uh, yeah, He was persistent. He would He would get it done. Did you kind of get an extra bit of pride watching your youngest brother have that success that he had? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to gloss over the end of your career, Gary, but you kind of dubbed around after 95 or so, just here and there, ran a lot of different stuff. Yeah. Um, seemed like almost never full-time. Um, why was that? I was just going out and having fun, racing yeah. for the some tracks where there was a little money to race for, you know. And I didn't want to do it full time anyway anymore. Yeah. Was it business or family, or or just burned out, or just burned out and taking it easy, you know? Yeah. Having some fun doing it. Yeah. It is kind of the same as I was, you know. You accomp- kind of accomplished what you felt you wanted to accomplish in racing, and you had known the ins and outs of it. And yeah. So, Larry, did you know that it was going to be your last time racing, the last time it was that you raced? I think so, yeah. Did you tell anybody, or was it just in, inside? That was the end of the year. Yeah. Don't think I'm going to revive this stuff for another year. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh... I'll tell you, as a kid who grew up in Chittenden County, it was painful to drive by down Williston Road and see your race car in the shop on that big display window and it never moved. No. You know, I was always, because I, I was a Karen Brothers fan. Um, yeah. I think you were too. Mm-hmm. And to see that car just sit there year after year after year, when's it? When's something going to happen? <laughs> you killed me, man. <laughs> <laughs> and to be clear, I was a Pat Corbett fan just so I don't well, get myself course, in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah, want to get myself in trouble or anything. Yeah. But. Yeah. Pat, Pat was a good racer. Yeah. That was a good racer. Did you have any, Larry, not troubles, not the right word, but when you started going to the track after it was kind of over, did you get the itch at all, or were you completely? Uh, You always get the itch, but uh, I think going with Gary and helping these guys out satisfied that. Like I say, after... We got done to Bush North. We did run some ACT races, and then I got my son Jay into it, and he ran some races. So mm-hmm. you know, I, I pacified myself with that. So when you see Joey LeCare still doing laps in a Tiger, do yeah. you ever think, huh, yeah. maybe Clown. one night, mm-hmm. just one night? <laughs> no. 
Did you guys try to replace racing with anything? Golf or a boat or something I did like golf. that? Yeah. Did it satisfy yeah, it was the fun. itch? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. peaceful and nice out on the course. You meet new people. A little quieter. A little quieter. A little quieter. For sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's get into the next generation. There's Jay. There's Sammy. There's Kyle. Um, forgive me, but none of them had the success. You know, they, they just didn't. Um, yeah. I think there were flashes of brilliance for all of them. And, of course, Sammy is doing great now. Um, but uh, I especially remember Kyle coming along, and everybody kind of—I feel like people put some pressure on him to perform, and it, it just didn't happen for some reason. He had a couple of good runs. Yeah, a lot of times the car went in the trailer all banged up. Well, he was young, probably too young. He probably should have started in something a little less than what he had. Yeah, you know, put him up in the late models right off, and it's kind of tough to run in that when you've never done it you know yeah do you think, think there's added pressure that comes with having a recognizable last name that I, I, I think so that's, much success yeah, right yeah maybe maybe but he's he said he just didn't really care for it as much as working on the cars he likes yeah. building them and uh, yeah. you know prepping them and everything mm-hmm. else like that yeah like he did it for a few years there with uh chip grenier and they I was had some success that, yeah. you know they should have had a few more wins than they had but yeah. They did pretty well. And Kyle is very well known um, in the garage yeah. area as a mechanic, not necessarily mm-hmm. as a driver, but he's got he's he's held in pretty high esteem. Oh, yeah. He yeah. can do all of it. And now, Larry, your son Jay was, I thought, always a very decent driver that didn't quite have the luck. Um, I don't know what finances were like, but, you know, he had some good runs with ACT in the mm-hmm. pro stock years, mm-hmm. and he had uh, some real good runs with the NEPSA Tour. Yeah. Um, take us through his career. Uh, you know, he, he used mostly used my old equipment, and he uh, was always a little bit shy on that end. But he was a good driver, very safe with the car, uh, probably a little too safe. Didn't take enough chances. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. He loved racing, and he did it for a long time. He did too. it for quite a while. Yeah. yeah. How do you balance? As a parent, especially ones that had success doing what they'd like to do, kind of pressure or trying to instruct them how to do it and just letting them kind of figure out their own way. Well, you can try to tell them, but some people have their own mind and they're not going to listen. They're going to do it the way they want. (laughs) I had Kyle out there one night. He was going to qualify for a 100-lap feature, and I... I was on the radio, and I told him, I said, just stay down where you are. You know, don't, don't move up on the track. And he didn't listen. He moved up, and he finished fourth, and he didn't make a feature, you know. So it's hard. You can't, you can't tell them. They're going to they get their own mind. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, bring it up on the ride home, or do you just let them marinate in it for a while? No, I just left it alone when it was yeah. done, you know. Because <laughs> yeah. it's interesting because we have a basketball podcast also talking to coaches. Right. And oftentimes coaches will coach their own kids and that's can be a bit the tough team. at times. Yes. Yes. And it's, you know, sometimes you got to set ground rules of okay, basketball ends when we pull in the garage at the end of the day or mm-hmm. something like that. Did you yeah. have those? Yeah, pretty much. You know, when the race is over, it's over. Yeah. You'll start again. 
if you wreck it, you wreck it. If you finish good, that's great. We're, what was your role with Jay? With Jay, I was his crew chief. Crew chief, yeah. yeah. But were you letting him kind of uh, make his own decisions and call yeah. shots, or were you saying, listen, we did this, no, and, and it should work for you? Well, we kind of agreed together you know, yeah. on what, what would be done, but uh, he made his own calls. Same for you, Gary? Oh, yeah. I tried to help him, you know, try to do the best I can, but you just cannot tell them what to do. Yeah. You've got to let them make their own calls. Yeah. They make a bad one, they'll know it. Yeah. Um, now, Sammy, which is one of my favorite stories that has ever happened in racing. Um, your nephew, <laughs> both of you. Sammy beat his brains in for 20 years at Thunder Road. And then, I mean, just... Awful. Just it, what was? It, how could it have even been fun? And then he takes a couple of years off, and he comes back and wins the friggin' championship. Um, that is, it's really one of the, the coolest Cinderella stories that's ever happened up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he worked for Stevie Hibbert for quite a few years. Sure, and he learned a lot. Yep, you know, it made him a lot wiser, and I think he's used a lot of that knowledge to help him. Yeah, you know, and he's got some help, Hibbert. Talks to him a little bit, you know, and tells him what things that he could do to his car, and that's a big advantage for him. Well, he's got Smitty McKay too. <laughs> Which yeah. is, you know, if you're going to oh, yeah. know a Tiger car, it's going to be those guys, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Sam's got some good ideas, and yeah. he works hard at it. He's, you know, you know what it is. Every night you got to go out there and play with that thing if you want to get it done and get it right. Yeah. Well, when he came back from after working with Steve Parks, he understood what it would take. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Then he could apply it. So what's the family reaction when he's, he wins his first race? Right? It's awesome. I mean, oh, awesome. 20 years into it, and he finally yeah. wins one, yeah. Yeah. and he keeps winning. <laughs> yeah. You know, he won the Milk Bowl, he won the 100 Lapper, and he won the championship. I mean, uh, we I tried to get him to talk at the at the last race, and I got, what, five minutes out of him? I mean, he's, he's quiet as a church mouse, but... Um, <laughs> He had to have been a little bit excited about that, right? And oh yeah, he was excited, very. Yeah. So, uh, do you guys carry him around your shoulders, you know, around the Christmas tree or something? Or I mean, how <laughs> <laughs> no, we like to go up and you know cheer him on a little bit. We support him. him. Yeah, we support him in it. You know, yeah. give him all the time we can. Yeah. Do you guys still get up to the track and? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Every week. Yeah, yeah. Every week. Every week. Yeah. Who's your favorite driver? If you can take him out of it. Right now. Yeah. In the Tigers? Well, whatever. Who do you like to watch up there? I mean, who reminds you of yourselves, I guess? Mm. Boy, it's hard to say. Who's... I don't watch the other guys that much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm watching Sam, to be honest with you. Yeah. But... Yeah. No, there's a bunch of good cars here. I can't think of anybody that I really pay attention to that I, much. I actually in. like that answer. <laughs> yeah. I the just, hell of the rest I'm, of I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. watching Sam and... Yeah, yeah. Keeping track of what he's doing. You know, yeah. There's a couple of good guys there. Yeah. The competition is there. Yeah. And it always will be. Yeah. Do you enjoy, Gary, kind of seeing the Tiger Renaissance? You know, a decade ago, mm-hmm. there's six, seven cars, and they're running segments to try to fill it out. Yeah. And now some could argue the Tigers should probably be the main event every week. They put the best show on. They should be. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, I watch the race, and 
there's a lot more show in the Tigers. Yep. For me. I would agree with that. Does it remind you guys of when you were the hot dogs? I mean, is it the same feel or is it totally different? Yeah, it's it's actually a different feel. I think it's more competitive. The whole field is more competitive. Their times are a lot closer. Used to be you could start at the rear and cut your way up through in 20 laps, but I don't think they can do that anymore. Does that frustrate you now the way that it is? I mean, as, no, a, as no. a driver who was used to winning for mm-hmm. either of you, mm-hmm. and you could pick your way through in 25 or whatever laps, yeah. um, does it frustrate you that they're all going the same speed now? No, it's better racing, yeah. actually. Yeah. You know. Everybody's caught up. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. Gone are the days of the you know five or six wins in a season. Yeah, well, years ago, if you get two, you are years ago the smartest guy would figure it out, and then he could win. You know what I mean? And there wasn't as many that were as as sharp at it. And there wasn't as many parts that you could buy off the market. You had to kind of fabricate, make your own stuff, and Mm -hmm. the guy that could do that was usually going to be a winner. What's the weirdest fix you ever did? Maybe like at the track. At the track. I had wrecked my hurricane car and we rebuilt another 62 Chevy in a week, transferring parts off one another. And we got in the race and we were junk. We couldn't qualify. We were in the Concy and we were taxing around on a caution. And Ron Bonnet, which raced at the time, he was a good guy to race with. Something happened. He took his eye off something. He drove down into my right front tire. And I mean hard. And after that, the car took off. <laughs> I won the, the comp seat. <laughs> won the race. Did you thank him? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we got in. They had bent the upper control arm up. And so I had the guy with the welding truck come over, and I says, reinforce that so it doesn't bend anymore. <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever have to build something on the fly at the track and get yourself going again? Oh, I always put a lot of things, transmissions, all kinds of things together. But probably the best thing that I did one night is I didn't do it at the track. I had to do it at the shop, but I made a spindle, raised it up, made it taller, and that helped the angle of the control arm. Yeah. The car went way better when I did that. Mm-hmm. I relate to your story, Larry. I hit the wall, hung it on the fence one time with Thunder Road, mm-hmm. and shortened the wheelbase by two inches on the right side, <laughs> and it, we went a half a second faster for the rest of the year. <laughs> Don't touch it. That's a Don't jump. Don't touch it. Yeah. <laughs> your car numbers were always very iconic. Gary, you were always 22 for the most part. Larry, I think most people would know you as 07, but you were also 12 and 88 were kind of your mm-hmm. your staples. Um and 43 was a prominent number in the family um, for a point, uh, 15. It just It seems like everybody had their own number. Why? Where did the numbers come from? I, I, we'll start with, with Larry. Well, my first numbers came from what was available. Mm. You know, uh, first number I had was two. The next number, when I went back racing again, it was taken, so I took 12. And just... Paint a stripe in front of it, right? That's right. Yeah. And we had 28 when I ran Tom Waters' car because mm-hmm. that was his number. Mm-hmm. And same thing when I got into the bush, it was 88. Where does 07 come from? Because that's a 
odd number. That's the odd number, yeah. Uh, when I got into the Tigers, that was what was available, what we wanted was 07 would work. Sam kind of adopted that yeah. number and yeah. it stuck. What about 22? 22, I just liked the number. And it was available, so that's the one I picked. No there reason. No, no reason for it, no. But it's been lucky for me. Yeah, I'd say I, so. I find out that I was married on the 20th. <coughs> got married on the 22nd. And a lot of things happen on the 22nd. I got married on the 12th, so there's... Did you guys play sports or anything growing up and have numbers, or did it matter? No. Always like a good car number story. (laughs) Time for a Barry Tile quick hitters. Kind of go in order here. Larry, starting with you, who is the driver you learn the most from by watching out the windshield? Watching out the windshield. Like racing with on the track, you learned just from watching them. Probably Joey Carafas. Oh, right on. Joey Carafas was, uh, he didn't have the top-notch car, but he was a very smooth driver and a very smart driver. Mm. He wouldn't take and risk it if he didn't have to, and he was a very courteous driver, I thought. But yeah, probably him. He was the Bush North champion. In the lower divisions, I always liked Norm Andrews. Very, very good driver clean driver and you can tell he worked hard on his car because he went fast mm-hmm. if you weren't winning it was him in, yeah, in right. the 70s yeah. for real back then yeah. yeah and the 80s when you guys were in Tigers yeah, yeah. Hmm. Gary who took you to school I think Chuck Beatty Chuck was a good driver too he could, he could really get up through the traffic if you if he got by you in back in the back in traffic you wanted to follow him because Did you? he'd bring you right to the front did you guys try in those early stages? Would you try to kind of wait and go out with someone who was better for practice to try to follow them? No, I just go out and do my thing out there for that. And but during the race, you know, if you could get behind somebody, you knew somebody like he was going to be good, and he was always he'd always get up to the front mm. if he got by you. You know, tried not to let him. <laughs> Would you have ever thought in those early nineties? <coughs> That Phil Scott would have gone on to win all the championships <laughs> that he did. No, he's let done alone well. governor. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have thought he would have done that, but he did well. It's it, funny because obviously with all this success he's had, he had racing. Yeah. But you go back and you watch in the 90, early nineties, he was struggling just to make the shows. A lot of people when they first started, they were struggling just to get in there and do it. And then they got better. They got better cars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, my question every show is always, and Larry, we'll start with you. Uh, what's the dumbest thing you ever did in a race car? Gee, I can't think of it right now. Must have been some real dumb things. But, uh. <laughs> think. Well, why don't you think? And Gary, the, the best it seems like I, you've got the one. Best on one the I can tongue. think about is when I hit the wall one night coming out of the turn four, and then the car went up over the top of the wall. And then when I came off the end, I watched my tire clear the telephone pole over the. The flag stand there. What do they call mm-hmm. it? The, the pit boot, pit box. You know what I mean. That was about the dumbest thing I did because so, it was it was a two two race, two feature night, and that happened <laughs> in the first feature. Then I was really screwed for the second. I mean, were you going for it for no reason, or were you? I was going for it, but I I didn't need to go that hard. Yeah. You know what I mean. I should have 
backed up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and then Thunder Road would, if you, when those old cars, when you'd first get out there, they didn't have any, didn't, we didn't have to run a nine inch Ford back then. You ran just a Chevy rear end. And when it hit, it would fracture the axle. Yeah. And it would break right off. Yeah. Happened all the time. The tire went gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'm curious, Gary, what are your thoughts on, obviously, plenty have talked about it, the wall at Thunder Road, you know, during your prime, you could go super hard, maybe you fly off, and five seconds later you drive back up and over and you're back at it racing. Well, yeah, you could do that then, but you're not going to happen right. now, right? right? But, yeah, it, it happened like that a couple of times. Or if you go off the back stretch, you'd be down into the trees there, mm-hmm. digging branches out of your car. Do you guys do that? Oh, yeah. There was that big maple tree out there? No. I've been into it. Have you? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you oh, think of your dumb thing? Oh, gee, I, you know. You were hoping I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Back in 76, uh, we had a Grand Am car. And I think it was, yeah, it was 76. And uh, on the back stretch of Catamount, these guys were, I was in the back of the pack. It was the start of the race. Gary knows the story. <laughs> These guys were peeling off like this, and I was standing right on the... And all of a sudden, there's a car stopped, oh. and I drove right into them and uh, caught on fire. Oh. So I had to get out of the fire, and that's probably the dumbest thing I did. I had something similar driving back from Justin's <laughs> yeah. house last year. We interviewed Vince Quinville, and... Tom called me 20 minutes later. He goes, I need you to bring me home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> Who is the guy at the track that you absolutely love to hang out with at the track, but you wouldn't want to date your sister? <laughs> <laughs> this is a new question. It's been a, it's been a fun one. Boy. Tom Curley? Yeah. <laughs> I'd, good say, one. I'd say Joey LeCare. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Patrick LaPearl has been a, a good answer, a frequent answer. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, we'll wrap it up, guys. Uh, thank right. you very much uh, for having us here. And, I mean, I don't know if you guys real, realize it or not, but you're legends. And, you. Uh, you know, I think that there's still mm-hmm. a lot of people out there that remember you, and, and this has been a, a popular request. To have you guys on the show. So thank you. Finally got it done. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks again to the Karens for coming on the show, letting us in their building to record it. Uh, You say that like we're criminals. Hey, depends who you talk to. Uh, You guys didn't even hear, didn't hear it because I edited it out. There was one point you might hear a little remnants of it because I took some of it out where a customer came in when we were recording and Gary just hopped up and said, Hey, we're doing something. Leave your keys. Go. <laughs> he did. <laughs> it was good. Make sure you are following us on all the socials, uncommon deeds on Twitter and Facebook, uncommon deeds podcast on the Instagram. Oh, the Instagram. I know I've done Pearl Jam before, but I don't think I've done that one. Anyway. Yeah. It's been a lot of episodes. Probably have, but that's okay. 
Yeah. If you want to get a hold of us, any of the socials, but you can also send us an email, especially if you're a business who perhaps wants to join this wacky family, and you can do that, uncommonmediavt at gmail.com. Make sure you are checking out all the other stuff we have. We have the new Sports Order podcast, talking pro sports. Uh, free agency in the NFL is big right now in the last couple of weeks on the show. NFL draft is coming up. Then we'll probably get weird come summertime. Yeah, get weird. Also, the No Fouls podcast is cruising right now. Hell yes. Coming off a big episode last week. Let me let me just interrupt you here on this one. Uh, if you haven't listened to No Fouls, uh, what's wrong with you? But if you haven't listened at all to any of them yet, listen to the latest one, episode 15, with Sid Sweet, who, by the way, is a racer, um, but a, a great basketball coach as well. And you and Sid sat down at the, at the odd um, during the tournament and recorded a great episode that I think, uh, you know, honestly, on this show and on the No Foul show, most of it is about success and rah, 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 and look at me, I'm the best. Sid Sweet absolutely called himself out on all of his mistakes, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate him being honest and open about that. And listen, he's had plenty of success. Don't take that the wrong way. Um, But he pointed out his shortcomings as a coach more than he trumped himself as a, we got to the championship game or we got to the, this, you know, we won this many, like I'm, I'm super proud of that episode for that reason. And then for the end, the final 20 minutes, half hour, whatever it is, um, Tom kind of got up on the soapbox a little bit and um, it was sort of an op-ed that you might read in the newspaper um, and talked about the importance of sportsmanship and what went wrong at the D3 championship finale at the odd between uh, Winooski and Hazen called himself out as a Hazen Homer. And so, I mean, it's all, it's very transparent and very honest and right on the friggin' mark. It doesn't matter if you play basketball, if you have a kid that plays basketball, it doesn't matter if you do any sports, it's a must listen and you should be very proud of it. I am, and I don't have anything to do with it, but as somebody who's, really enjoyed that show and watching it take off. I, I, my hat's off to you. No, thank you. I, uh, I'm not good at taking compliments. Uh, shut up and take it. But no, that was an important one for me. I was very kind of passionate about what I saw and, you know, sportsmanship lack thereof. And that is something that we don't normally do on that show or this show, you know, the point of those shows is kind of about the guests and their stories. And we don't want to take anything away from those episodes. And we want those episodes to make sense for years to come when someone, you know, hops on. So talking a lot about what's going on in a specific time doesn't make a ton of sense, but I felt very passionate about it. And what is the point kind of having the platforms that we do, quote unquote, you know, we're no celebrities, but what is the point 
if you're Speak passionate to yourself, man, I'm friggin' awesome. If, if we're passionate about something and then we don't talk about it, then what is the point? Yeah. So that one, I stewed for a good day and a half about whether or not I want to do it. And then I let it rip and the feedback I've got has been great. I've heard a lot back about it and from coaches and parents from other schools. So that was very cool. So please go check that out. No fouls wherever you listen to your podcast and another absolute heater coming this week. Yes. With Jade Huntington, who is an absolute legend, graduated from Oxbow in 1988. All-time leading girls scorer in Vermont history. Her sister came within 40 points of her, roughly. Whatever it was, about eight years later. Went on, played at Vanderbilt. Made it to the Sweet 16 a couple times. I think the Elite Eight once. Coached at the college level. Bounced around. Came back to Vermont. Now she's coaching at St. Jay. Absolutely loved recording that episode. So another great one to check out this week. Mm, damn. Looking forward to it. Vermont Sports Hall of Famer. Yeah. Yep. All right. I think that's all we got. Uh, merch for sale as always. Oh, No Fouls has its first batch of merch. Yeah. That is available, and some people have already taken advantage, and we haven't even actually really posted about it. Uh, once again, super grateful. During my two weeks at the auditorium, sold a bunch of merch just from people who saw me wearing it around the gym. So, And then we put a little something up on the highlight clip we put out of Jade's sister, Jazz Huntington, this week, and got an order for three shirts there. So we have blue shirts, white lettering, white hoodies, blue lettering. We'll put something up on the Facebook page this week about that. Check out the Uncommon Media Facebook page for all this stuff, too, by the way, because that's kind of the catch-all for all of our stuff. Yeah, and was it No Fouls Pod, I think, on on Facebook for that as well. We'll be back. You've been listening to the Uncommon Deeds Motorsports Podcast, a production of Uncommon Media. Nicely done.